Hello and welcome to a more perfect podcast. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at some of the lesser known things that Trump has done concerning the environment. I want to make it clear, however, this isn't an episode about changing your mind. This is an episode about informing you. This episode is informative. I feel like with a more informed view of policy and of politics, we can get further than just choosing a side and slinging arrows against the other side. So that's what this episode aims to do, is just inform you, thus you can make up your own mind. With that out of the way, we can get to some of the Trump administration's policies. Before that though, we have to explain the rationale behind Trump administration and the environment, because there is an overarching theme that you'll see here, and that theme is deregulation. Deregulation meaning the removal of regulations that were supposedly to protect the environment. These regulations, they were introduced under the Obama administration. Now, you won't hear this from the mainstream media, but these regulations, they weren't good at all. For one, they harmed our businesses, and you may say, oh, that's a good thing, you know, it cuts down on the oil and gas companies, but it also increases your electricity bill. Just listen, Obama said it himself. This clip is of Barack Obama talking about how his regulation policies will affect the American consumer. The problem is, can you get the American people to say this is really important and force their representatives to do the right thing? Uh, that requires mobilizing a citizenry. That requires them understanding what is at stake. Uh, you know, and, and climate change is a great example. You know, when I was asked earlier about uh, the issue of coal, uh, you know, under my plan uh, of a cap-and-trade system, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket, even, you know, regardless of what I say about whether coal is good or bad, because I'm capping greenhouse gases, Coal-powered plants, you know, natural gas, you name whatever the plants were, whatever the industry was, they would have to uh, retrofit their operations. That will cost money. They will pass that money on to consumers. Well, Obama said it himself, so I'm not sure how much more clear I can make that. The regulations were bad. They definitely had their dark side to them, to say the least at least until the Donald Trump's administration came in. Now, they weren't exactly going to save the day, okay? Donald Trump, he's done bad things. One of them is he tried to open up most of America's coastline to oil drilling. This is a nuanced issue that I will get into very, very soon. First, I want to talk about his deregulation. Okay, so the big idea here is kind of weird, actually. Overarching idea is that without regulation, our emissions actually did better than they did with all of the regulations in place. Let me explain. According to the United States Environmental Protection Agency's comprehensive annual report on greenhouse gases in 2019, their trends showed a long-term falling greenhouse gas emissions. It says since 2005, National greenhouse gas emissions have fallen by 13%, and power sector emissions have fallen by 27.6%. 
Year over year, national greenhouse gas emissions were 0.5% lower in 2017 than the prior year, 2016, and, and power sector emissions fell by 4.2%. Basically, what all that is is emissions have fallen under the Donald Trump administration with this rolling back of the regulations and the trust of American ingenuity and the private sector. I just like to call it American ingenuity. In fact, it's through this American ingenuity that criteria air pollutant emissions and their precursors dropped 7% under President Donald Trump's administration. Basically, the idea there is that emissions have fallen with less regulation than they were with more regulation. But for all the stripping of regulations and the rolling back of regulations that Donald Trump did, he also did something different. He amended some regulations. This is the second thing, really, that Donald Trump did for the environment, which is he actually protected endangered species through modding the regulations that were adherent to them. So he modified those regulations that affected the um, endangered species and really the land regulations that were pertinent to those endangered species, right? So if you had, basically the idea is if you had endangered species on your land, then your land would suddenly become subject to a whole bunch of regulations by the government, whether it was the government seizing your land or the government telling you what you could or couldn't do with your land, it was bad. The landowners weren't going to have any of that. So they would, they would do whatever they could to keep the endangered species off of their property um, so they wouldn't be subject to all this regulation. Well, Donald Trump amended that disaster. In doing so, Donald Trump gave the private property owners incentive incentive to cultivate these endangered species, give them their natural habitat, and thus not be subject to all the burdensome regulations that would come with the discovery of a endangered species on somebody's private property. But, you know, this is a more perfect podcast, so we have to get even more specific than that. What happened in the modifications done to these regulations is this. So in 1975, um, the Fish and Wildlife Service, I believe it's a uh, subsector of the Environmental Protections Agency, in 1975, it extended the act's full protections to all listed species on this endangered species list, whether or not they're considered endangered or just threatened, um, which is animals that could become endangered in the foreseeable future. These regulations have applied to all of them. Um, unless the agency issues a provision stating otherwise. That's according to the National Review article that I will link below in the sources. Again, I always link my sources. You can check them out. They are in the link below at the pastebin link. Anyways, the new rules restore Congress's original distinction between threatened and endangered species. The reason this distinction is so important is that the Fish and Wildlife Service decides on a case-by-case-by-case case case basis whether these protections really are necessary for a species. So if a species isn't endangered anymore, then why should you 
restrict the activities of a landowner um, if the species is just threatened. It's not endangered. You can give that owner a little bit more freedom, and that's exactly what Donald Trump's administration did. The article says that before the recent rule change, landowners who worked to improve species status from endangered to threatened often received nothing in return. And likewise, once a species was listed as threatened, landowners had little reason to prevent a further decline. It says the new rules. It says with the new rules, landowners can be rewarded with regulatory relief if an endangered species status improves, and they will have ample incentives to recover threatened species to avoid a more stringent endangered listing. Basically, the big idea here is more protections equals more regulations equals more burden. If you change how those protections are applied, then you give more freedom to the landowner, and if you change how those protections can be removed, then you give incentive to the landowner to do those things, those things meaning cultivating the endangered species, taking action that would release those protections and release those regulations and release the burden upon the landowner thus trusting the private landowner and giving him incentive to protect the endangered species. Donald Trump protects endangered species across America. All right, so now let's get to some other stuff because Trump's done a lot more than just regulatory policy as far as the environment is concerned. In 2017, an executive order was signed. That executive order it opened up more areas in the United States for offshore oil and gas exploration. But the 2017 executive order, which opened up these lands, got overturned in the federal court. It was declared illegal and invalid by a federal judge in Alaska in late March 2019. However, there's another side to this. So Donald Trump also very, very recently, September 9th, 2020, he signed an executive order. He banned oil drilling off of the coasts of Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. So thus, the oil drilling, the oil explorations, they can't be done there, okay? So previously, this was already a thing. So there was already a moratorium on offshore drilling in Florida's Gulf Coast. But he expanded it to Florida's Atlantic coasts and the coast of Georgia and South Carolina. So thus, all that land is protected. So you can't have things like a BP oil spill if there's no oil there. I would count it as a plus in Trump's book. Again though, this is an episode about making up your own mind. Do you think what Donald Trump did is good? Do you think what Donald Trump did is bad? You can make up your own mind. Just keep listening because I have a lot more to tell you. This next thing, it's my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing that has been done concerning the environment. When I was little, I saw this movie. It was called The Lorax. I, I read the book. The Lorax, you know, I'm the Lorax, I speak for the tree. Well, there's this part in the book and uh, in the movie where they start cutting down the, I think it's called the truffula trees, and the animals get sick and there's, you know, black tar and smoke and all this, and, it, and it's, a, it's a hellscape. Well, in real life, these toxic sites, they're called Superfund sites. Superfund sites are toxic areas around the country where the environment 
is just completely a wasteland. The towns living around them, you'll have cancer that runs in these communities. You will have water that you can't drink, for example, just because you live near one of these awful, toxic Superfund sites. Now, the federal government in 1980, it birthed a big program to clean up the Superfund sites. However, over the years, this program and the Superfund cleanups basically have been very, very underfunded and pretty much neglected. So let me read you some numbers, and they come from Politico. Under the Clinton administration, back in the late 90s, they cleaned up, on average, 87 Superfund sites per year. In the first six years of the George W. Bush administration, that number fell from 87 to 40 cleanups. Obama's first year in office, that saw the number dive even further, from 40 cleanups to 20 cleanups. 2014, it dives from 20 all the way down to only 8 cleanups. Only 8 cleanups under the Obama administration, and at the end of the Obama administration, there were still 1,300, more than 1,300 sites on the Superfund National Priorities List. Additionally, even more critically, 53 million Americans were living within three miles of one of these toxic, hazardous sites. Take a step back. Imagine your president. What do you do? You see 53 million Americans in crisis. You see toxic waste sites all around our country. The number of cleaned up sites going down, 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 year by year, administration after administration being neglected. What do you do? Well, you clean up the sites. And that's exactly what Donald Trump's administration did. But there's a catch. First though, let's look at what they actually did. So under Donald Trump, officials deleted seven sites from the Superfund list in 2017, 22 in 2018, and 27 in 2019. According to Politico, this is the highest single-year total since 2001. For example, Indiana's USS Lead Site, a former lead ore refinery, as we know, lead poisons water, and the Westlake Landfill in Missouri. Again, there's communities living near these sites, Communities being poisoned year after year. People are dying. And so Donald Trump said, nope, we're going to finish the job here. We're going to clean it up, and we're going to clean it up big. And that's exactly what they did. All these stagnated projects that have been left behind over previous administrations, boom, get it done. And that's exactly what Donald Trump did. For all of his regulations and stuff that people like to pay attention to, he also did this. So there's that to be considered. But as I told you, there is a catch here, and this is what the opposite side will tell you. Again, this is all about informing your opinion, so I might as well before I might as well inform you on the different perspectives surrounding this matter. The Democrats will point you to articles such as this one by the Associated Press. The headline is Toxic Superfund Sites Decline to More Than 30 Year Low. They'll say this, but it's not actually true. Rather, it's incredibly misleading. Let me explain. Okay, so when quoting this Associated Press article, the Democrats claim that Trump has only deleted six sites in his administration when in reality he's cleaned up 27 sites. So they're getting this from the deletions. Like once you delete a site, then that's what they're counting. And it's incredibly misleading because 
just because a site is cleaned up doesn't mean it can be deleted from the list. There's still a bunch of other steps it has to go through. Um, so the Democrats will nitpick that number from the official report. All of this is linked. You can check it out for yourself. But they'll, nit- they'll nitpick that number and thus portray Trump in a bad light when it's really not true. Trump has done more on these Superfund sites than any other administration in recent memory. Before I was born, even, the administrations were doing less than Donald Trump has done in these past four years as far as these toxic Superfund sites. It's quite frankly amazing, and you can see why it's my favorite thing that has been done over these past four years in the Trump administration concerning the environment. But wait, there's more. Donald Trump has done a bunch to protect marine life as well as seas and our great bodies of water around the United States. Two years ago, Trump signed the Save Our Seas Act of 2018. What this act did was it sought to address the dumping of trash and debris in the oceans as well as the Great Lakes. It all starts with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It's also known as NOAA for short. It extends NOAA's Marine Debris Program for an additional five years. It also authorizes NOAA to declare severe marine debris events. In addition to all that, it'll release funds to states with big coasts for cleanup and for response efforts. And finally, the Save Our Seas Act of 2018 encourages the executive branch, meaning the president, to engage with nations responsible for dumping garbage into the oceans. I would call this a win for the coasts of America, as well as the seas, with all that garbage in there. With this act, we'll be able to not only provide funding on the state level, because, you know, the states are going to know more about the beaches, and they'll know exactly where to apply this funding and where to push the funding towards their own management teams, but also it's going to go straight to the culprit, right? It's going to go straight to these other nations and encourage them to stop dumping crap in our ocean. I would definitely consider this a huge plus for our oceans as well as the marine life because if you think about it, they're the ones that are actually affected by all this marine debris and all this trash that is floating inside of our oceans. It's bad and I'm really glad something was done about it. However, if you thought the Trump administration stopped there with just caring for our seas, you're drastically mistaken. Oh, no, 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 no. So back in 2019, specifically in June of 2019, the Trump administration provided over a million dollars in funding for the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency. So you may be wondering, well, why the heck did they do that? Well, I'll tell you. So the Trump administration provided this funding, so the state of Ohio could clean up two things. So one is Lake Erie, which has had a bunch of contamination problems for decades now, and as well as the Ashtubula River. Both of these things will be drastically speeded up and seriously helped with the cooperation of the federal government, meaning the Trump administration, and the state government with the Ohio cleanup efforts that are already underway. So Trump helped out the Great Lakes by providing funding to Ohio and their cleanup efforts. So good job there. It's just awesome. So you guys realize that the Superfund thing was my favorite thing that has been done for the environment over these past four years. Let me tell you about my second favorite thing. So my second favorite thing is concerning Florida. 
Trump has also done a lot for the Everglades in Florida. First off, the 2021 budget for President Trump calls for $250 million in annual funding to revitalize and protect the Everglades, according to his campaign. In December, he signed a bill providing $200 million for Everglades restoration. He also prioritized funding for the completion of the Herbert Hoover Dyke Rehabilitation and the Tamiami Trail Next Steps Project, as well as building a reservoir south of Lake Okeechobee. Now, here's some issues that us Floridians will definitely recognize. So, Trump and the administration under him is committed to fighting harmful algae blooms like the Red Tide. I'm sure you've heard of it. There was a huge ad campaign blitz on it um, a few years ago. I certainly remember it. So, I'm very thankful for the Trump administration's funding to help fight this harmful issue. Just to underscore the Trump administration's massive achievement, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, actually said that President Trump understands that restoring Florida's Everglades is critical to the economic growth and well-being of our state. He continued, this $250 million in federal funding combined with more than $300 million of state funding for the Everglades in my recommended budget will help us achieve our long-term environmental goals. The governor said that the ball is now in Congress's court to grant the president's request so we can continue our efforts of restoring one of America's most prized natural resources. That was on February 10th, 2020. So the governor of Florida, the person that would know the most about the issues and how they relate to Florida, commended President Trump for his fantastic action on the Everglades and the state of Florida in general. It's certainly a huge thing. I've personally been to the Everglades myself. I've seen them and they're beautiful and they're amazing and we have to preserve them if we're ever going to have a nice and amazing environment like the Everglades. I've literally taken a tour through the Everglades. You get on these vehicles and then you go and you can see all the alligators and the exotic birds and it's it's amazing like they actually control the water flow in and out of there and it's really cool i will never forget how they advocated at the end how you need to preserve the everglades and the everglades is our real test if we can preserve the everglades we can preserve the planet it's as simple as that it's all contingent on that pretty much a proxy battle in the everglades that's how important this is it's very very important so it makes me very happy that Donald Trump was able to help out with the Everglades. It's an amazing, an, an, an absolutely amazing thing. If you haven't been to the Everglades and you're listening from across the United States, as I know a lot of people do, seriously, come to Florida, come to the Everglades. It's fantastic down here. Just try not to come during a hurricane. <laughs> so this next one, it goes out to everybody that likes to hunt. Maybe you like to hunt birds. Maybe you like to hunt turkeys. Maybe you got your deer. That's awesome. You know, you, get, you gotta kill your game, eat the venison, all that stuff. I'm not a hunter myself, um, but I really want to start hunting. So there's that. I mean, for what it's worth. Um, 
The Trump administration has actually done a lot of stuff for you guys that like to hunt. So Trump opened up a bunch of land to hunting and fishing that was previously closed and was unavailable for hunting and fishing. So what he did was he opened or expanded 859 hunting and fishing opportunities. And an opportunity is defined as one species or one field station in one state. And this was on top of the previous years, so that's 2019's expansion of 1.4 million acres for new or expanded hunting and fishing opportunities. This proposal, the article says, would bring the Trump administration's total expansion for all this hunting and fishing stuff that you can do to over 4 million acres nationwide. 4 million acres of land that you can now do hunting and fishing on thanks to Donald Trump's leadership and his administration. In fact, the Trump administration's actions, specifically this one, is the single largest expansion of hunting and fishing opportunities by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in history. Think about that. They did the largest expansion of your hunting, your fishing in history. So if you're locked up in your house, why not go out and hunt? I mean, there's a lot more land for you to do so. He's provided over the historic, the article says the historic opening and expansion of over 850 hunting and fishing opportunities across more than 2.3 million acres at 147 national wildlife refuges and national fish hatcheries. The rule is the single largest, again, the single largest expansion of hunting and fishing opportunities by the U.S. Wildlife and Fish Service in history. It's amazing. So all you hunters out there, all you fishers out there, you're welcome. It's awesome. You know what else is awesome, though? The other things that Trump did. Yeah, the list just keeps going. We're almost at 30 minutes now. It's crazy. So Trump, all the way back in 2019, I believe it was in March, or at least that's the time that this article was written, he signed a huge conservation bill. I believe that was what I was referring to earlier, but this bill, it permanently reauthorized the Federal Land and Water Conservation Fund that pays for parks, wildlife, and recreation projects in all 50 states. This is a national bill. It's 662 pages called the Natural Resources Management Act, and it's named after former Michigan Representative John D. Dingell. Very quietly, but with highly unusual bipartisan support, it passed the Senate 92-8 to 8 and the House 363-62. to 62. And they say Trump doesn't bring people together. I mean, come on now. This is a bipartisan bill. What do you know? Speaking of bipartisan, the Land and Water Conservation Fund is historically bipartisan. It's funded projects, again, in all 50 states since its inception in 1965 using the federal offshore oil well royalties. And it expired in September of 2018. This bill, it fixes that. It permanently reauthorizes this massive fund that pays for the parks, the wildlife, and the recreation 
projects. It guarantees there is national forests, national parks, historical sites. It's amazing. It's so awesome. It continues and it says Trump signed over a hundred separate bills that were all kind of collected like a big bill burrito, okay? It's like a big bill burrito um, full of nature stuff. Uh, I like the land and water conservation fund special, yeah, with uh, with extra uh, grass on top. That's basically what he signed, okay? Um, it's it's really cool. So, so, so here's what it does. It, it collectively, it designates 1.4 million acres of new wilderness 367 miles of new scenic rivers and 2,600 miles of new national trails, including a critical adjustment to the North Country Scenic Trail that'll stretch from Vermont to North Dakota across Wisconsin and Minnesota. Isn't that something? It's really, really cool. It gets even better. It also creates four national monuments, including the home of slain civil rights icon Medgar Evers in Mississippi. It expands three national parks, including the Joshua Tree in California. The legislation, it also provides GPS locations for crews that fight the wildfires, and it also allows those crews to begin using drones to scout and map the huge, devastating wildfires in real time. Let's just send the drones in there. Let's track our boys in there. And that's exactly what Trump signed. You gotta give him credit for this. I don't care if you're a progressive. I don't care if you're a Democrat. Dude, this is some cool stuff. It just gets better, though. Again, this is, what is it, a hundred separate bills? It does a lot of stuff. It withdraws the mineral rights of roughly 30,000 acres of United States Forest Service lands near the Yellowstone National Park. It's huge. It helps pay for projects in cities, counties, and on state land, including a $750,000 grant to the city of Duluth in 2017 for new recreational facilities in Lincoln Park. The project improved playgrounds, basketball courts, disc golf, and handicapped access to accessible trails. Later this year, the city will ask for a $250,000 land and water res restoration fund grant. So it's not just a big national scope that Trump's looking at. He's looking at the micro stuff. He's looking at the cities and he's helping them out big time. You, you really, like, honestly, I'm linking this article down below. It's amazing. It is absolutely insane what this land and water conservation fund and subsequently, the National Resources Management Act did. It's amazing. And it's honestly, I think they're going to write books on this, but I could be wrong. So definitely check that out. Again, all the sources for this, they're in the description. So you can just check them out whenever you want to. You can click on the paste pin link and then you take the, the links out of the document and you copy them. Then you paste them into your browser and boom, you can read exactly what I read because I link everything. All of my... Everything that I say on this podcast is backed up, okay? It's very easy, and I really do encourage you to read up on it because it's some cool stuff, and you might see some stuff that I didn't mention in here. You never know. With the Natural Resources Management Act, there was also another act that I believe basically does pretty much the same thing. Um, the only notable thing about it is it was sponsored by Representative John Lewis. 
the civil rights icon. So he's he's not with us anymore. Um, I'm sure he's in a better place. But it was sponsored by him. And Trump signed the Great American Outdoors Act into law. Articles for that are linked in the sources down below. If you'd like to read about that one, it's a very, very big act as well. But I figured we would move on even more because he's done a lot for trees, for parks, and there's some extra stuff at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. If you aren't just amazed now, you're going to be at the end of the episode because we're going to clear up something that's just insane. So anyways, let's get on with it. This next thing, it's a bit of a short thing, but it's important nonetheless. Here is Donald Trump. He'll tell you it himself. We joined the One Trillion Trees Initiative. You can listen to him say it right here. Committed to conserving the majesty of God's creation and the natural beauty of our world. Today, I'm pleased to announce the United States will join One Trillion Trees Initiative being launched here at the World Economic Forum. One Trillion Trees. I mean, honestly, if anything was ever straightforward, I believe it's that. One trillion trees, what does it do? You want to plant a trillion trees. So, there you go. We joined the One Trillion Trees Initiative under Donald Trump. It's pretty awesome. In addition to the One Trillion Trees Initiative, there's been a lot of other stuff that has happened with the trees. It's a lot more tragic, and it's, it's almost painful to talk about. I'm talking about the wildfires that have scorched our land for decades in California, Ohio, Washington, Oregon, a lot of stuff. Not Ohio, Oregon, I meant to say Oregon. It's awful. They've even been scorching it in the midst of a pandemic, and it's been just the worst. In fact, my article says that 10 deaths have been confirmed in this article in the wildfires in Oregon, so it's very bad. So what does this have to do with Donald Trump? Well, it has to do with him in the context of not only what he's done for the environment, but also the election. So just to make a quick note about the election here, Biden, the Democratic presidential nominee for those not in the United States, he is the Democrat nominee, and then he's running against Trump, the Republican nominee. Um, again, that's for people not in the United States. I do have an international viewership, so um, sometimes it's necessary to make those distinctions. Uh, anyways, Biden is running against Trump. He was slammed by the Republicans for not visiting these disaster areas. For the wildfires, They didn't. he didn't even visit them. He spoke from his home state of Delaware, and he spoke about climate change and the weather extremes that seem to be supercharging these fires. Trump, even though he's trailing in the polls, even though he's trailing in the number game against Biden in these national polls, he met with firefighters and officials in California after Democrats blasted him for remaining mostly silent on the wildfires. Basically, Trump's like, I'll show you through action. I won't show you through my words, okay? So he went all the way out to California and he met with these officials. He met with these firefighters and he says this. He says that it's more of a management situation for these wildfires, right? So he says that California state officials need to manage the wildfires in their forests better. They need to clean up the dead debris on the forest floors. It's very, very flammable and it 
catches fire very easily, thus it starts and it exacerbates the wildfires once they start. His theory is that we don't need to really worry about climate change because if you start really worried about being worried about climate change, well, you know, you got to worry about India, you got to worry about China and Russia, okay? They're the people that are really damaging the climate. We aren't. We should worry about the immediate effects like the dead debris on the ground, like the flammable trees. For what it's worth, the fact checkers will all say that Trump is false and or misleading. That's because it's really a... Here, here's where I would put the forest management issues if I had to throw a gander at it. It's probably about maybe 10% to 15% climate change and literally like 80 to 90% wildfire management. Because it, it just seems to me that you got to deal with the immediate problem before you deal with the overwhelming problem, okay? It's not that climate change isn't real and that it shouldn't be addressed. It's that you should deal, in my opinion, with the more immediate issues. But this episode really isn't about my opinion, so you could just disregard it. Um, it's just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, it, it's about informing you about the environmental issues and the environmental actions that this administration has taken over these past four years. Um, so let's continue informing, shall we? So one more thing about these wildfires, Trump's administration has approved California wildfire relief funding, even though initially FEMA did not feel like it should provide that funding because it said the fires weren't that crazy to begin with. But after Newsom called up Donald Trump and he said, hey, we need this funding, reports say he couldn't even finish his question before Trump said, yeah, I'll sign it. Boom. He did it. Even Gavin, Gavin Newsom, the bluest Democrat in the wool, said that he's had a very good working relationship with the Trump administration throughout the COVID pandemic as well as the wildfire disasters. They didn't ask for a minimum price when they asked for it because the true costs of these wildfires, they aren't known for months or even years afterward. That's how bad they are. In total, the government has agreed and has provided so far to pay about $562.5 million, over, way over that. Probably in, it's probably in the billions as far as funding for, for from the federal government to the California, and for definitely billions for the Californians to clean up this wildfire mess. It's certainly tragic and awful. Again, Trump helped... Trump has seriously helped the firefighters in California and has seriously helped the California state government. Despite it being blue, Trump has brought Americans together to fight the common enemy of not only the virus, but the fires, as evident in California. So, for everyone that says, oh, well, Trump divides people. I mean, look at this. Like, it sure doesn't seem like it. So, I would think that there ought to be that to be considered in this tragic situation. So while the wildfire thing was very sad and very tragic, let's move on to something a little bit more positive, shall we? So this is his whole Trump's push for national monuments. So national monuments, it's kind of iffy on whether they apply to the environment at all. 
Um, I would say they do because they're the federalizing of land and the protection of land inherently. So I thought I'd throw this in there. So Donald Trump, in his first such use of his executive powers, he designated a national monument. This national monument established a 380-acre site in Kentucky to honor African-Americans' role as soldiers during the American Civil War. The president said that during the war, thousands of enslaved African-Americans risked their lives escaping the Camp Nelson out of a deep desire for freedom and the right of self-determination. He said that while he was signing the proclamation that declared this site a national monument. So that's amazing. It protects those lands. It honors the African-American soldiers that fought in the Civil War all around. I'd say it's just a really cool thing to include if you're going to talk about the environment and Trump's effect on the public lands of the United States. At least it's a little bit happier than the wildfire thing. At any rate, wow, this has been a long episode. So, I've got two more things for you. First, you gotta know about Trump's repealing of Obama's clean power plan. What was Obama's clean power plan? So, Obama's clean power plan was a huge effort by the Obama administration to cut carbon emissions by nearly 30% from the level that they were at in 2005 by the year 2025. So in 20 years, they wanted to cut carbon emissions by 30%. What you may not have heard about this, both Democratic and Republican attorney generals opposed it. Over half the states opposed it. And it targeted specifically those living in rural America. The Town Hall article says that pretty much any state that voted for Romney in 2012 was going to get screwed over by this clean power plan. And in coal-purchasing states like West Virginia, side note, Vice has a fantastic, fantastic documentary on coal miners and Donald Trump. I'll link it in the sources. Um, this coal-producing states like West Virginia, the energy costs were expected to increase by 20%, just like I said at the beginning of the episode when I featured Obama's voice. Remember that? How he said, oh, well, you know, the costs would be reflected upon the American public. Yeah, this is that. This is that. Trump, he signed an executive order and he began the process of undoing the huge Obama-era environmental regulations. He wanted to promote energy independence and create jobs and will target a slew of environmental measures which were, which were aimed at combating the climate change, including the clean power plan, as I just said. And these things will take wide-ranging effect. They'll end a moratorium on new coal leases for the mining, and they'll have a huge review of this clean power plan and require a rulemaking process. It's going to be a big, big overhaul, or, or sorry, it was a big, big overhaul because, you know, this was a couple years ago that this happened. Again, the regulations by Obama, they were with good effect, or sorry, with good intention. They were, the regulations by Obama, they were with good intention. The effects that they had, however, were nasty and bad. They could never achieve their goals without massive costs, not only in the bank, so you would feel it in, you know, the national debt, and you would feel it with, you know, 
taxpayer dollars, but you would also feel it in your home with your energy costs, and you would feel it by the loss of your job. If you worked in a coal mine, if you worked in a coal factory, you would die with the implementation of this clean power plan, which, by the way, Joe Biden wants to reintroduce. So have fun, coal miners. Again, Donald Trump did this to revitalize the coal industry. He wants to save these people that work in the mines that literally have nothing else. You have got to watch this Vice documentary. It's pretty short. It's about 15 minutes long. It's very good and explains it so thoroughly. Great journalism over advice. Very rare to find nowadays, but again, I, I really, just my hat is off to you guys that produced that interview. If you ever hear this, y'all are awesome. Let's just underline, speaking of coal, this massive, massive loss of jobs under this clean power plan. The ozone regulations between 2008 and 2013, they cost a projected $56.6 billion in lost wages, along with 242,000 jobs. If Thanos had snapped the gaunt, sorry, if Obama had succeeded in the war on coal, 125,800 jobs would have been lost in total, along with just the mind-boggling number, $650 billion in GDP. Millions of jobs from the black and Hispanic communities could have been on the chopping block if Thanos had, sorry, <laughs> if Obama had, had succeeded with his war on the coal industry. Donald Trump wants to save those jobs to save the poor people in the coal mines that literally have nothing else to go for. It's insane. When looking at the clean power plan and when looking at Trump's deregulatory, I would advise you have a nuanced perspective, okay? Realize that there's a lot of things at play here. It's not just, oh, we're all going to die if, you know, we don't curb the ozone or, you know, we don't curb the emissions. That's not the whole story here. There's other people. There's people that rely on these mines. You could say, oh, well, they need to keep up. Well, I would say, screw you. Screw you. Okay, these people, these is, this is their families. This is their heritage. This is everything to them. You can't tell them to screw themselves. Also, if the deregulations are so bad, then why have emissions gone down? Why have emissions gone down? As I noted at the beginning of the episodes, emissions have gone down under Donald J. Trump, even though he repealed this so-called queen power plan. So again, a lot of stuff to consider with the deregulatory actions of the Trump administration. All right. So as I said, that was a few years ago. So what has happened since then? Let's skip forward to June 19th, 2019. On June 19th, 2019, Donald Trump replaced Obama's nasty clean power plan. What did he replace it with? He replaced it with the affordable clean energy rule. The affordable clean energy rule, when fully implemented, it's projected to do a whole bunch of amazing things. Let me just list them here. Reduce carbon dioxide emissions by 11 million short tons. Reduce SO2 emissions by 5,700 tons. Reduce some other emission. It's called NOx. I'm not sure what that means. Emissions by 7,100 tons. Another type of emissions, PM2.5 emissions by 400 tons. All of you environmental junkies out there, you probably know what I'm talking about. And it also pledges to reduce mercury emissions by a whole 59 pounds. 
just despite the Clean Energy Act, it's projected to reduce these CO2 emissions by as much as 35% below those 2005 levels. If you remember, Obama wanted to reduce them by a mere 30%. You got the Affordable Clean Energy Rule, it's going to reduce them by 35%. So take that, Obama. It will also provide the regulatory certainty that the states need to continue to reduce emissions and provide a dependable, diverse supply of electricity that all Americans can afford. When ACE, for short, is fully implemented, all those things are going to be awesome. The rule specifically, it establishes emissions guidelines for states to use. Um, This is directly from the press release from the Environmental Protection Agency. It says the ACE rule establishes emissions guidelines for states to use when developing plans to limit carbon dioxide at their coal-fired power plants. Specifically, ACE identifies heat rate improvements as the best system of emissions reduction for carbon dioxide from coal power plants, and these improvements can be made at the individual facilities. States will have three years to implement, or sorry, States will have three years to submit plans, which is basically in line with other planning timelines under the Clean Air Act. It's really amazing, and this clean power plan was not all it's chalked up to be. The Affordable Clean Energy Act, or the ACE rule for short, sorry, it's not an act, it's a rule. The ACE rule is going to fix all that, and you gotta give Trump a little credit for doing this. Whether it turns out to be a good or bad thing in the long run, that'll be the judge of time. Do you think that the ACE rule is good? That's for you to decide. However, the ACE rule is going to help out the environment and especially the emissions a lot. You can read up on it in the sources below. Again, I linked them all in the pastebin link. Be sure to read up on those because it's quite the amazing rule and it's got a whole bunch of intricate, intricate environmental policy changes and the, the rule is very immense. So any of you environmental junkies out there, I've linked it below and you can certainly read up all about it in the pastebin link where I have all my sources. So I hope you enjoy that. It's, it's a really cool thing. All right. So at long last, we are moving on from the clean power plan, but the clean power plan, it actually has a mommy. So the mom of the clean power plan, the mother of all environmental things, the thing that you've been hearing about for four years that you've probably been waiting for me to mention, it's the Paris Climate Accords. The clean power plan, it actually came out of the Paris Climate Accords. Now is the time where we go into this Paris Climate Accord and why it was so... it, It was bad for the United States and it's bad for the world as well. Don't tune me out. Don't shut this podcast down. You've gotten so far. Seriously, just hear me out. I have to explain myself. If you're a progressive, you're probably gone by now that I said that, but please just stay here. I can explain. So first off, what was the Paris Climate Accords? So it was an international agreement that I'm going to paraphrase here. It aimed to reduce the global temperature by 1.5 degrees Celsius. The agreement, it also recognized a need to improve the economies of the participant countries and reduce poverty, which made immediate reductions in the greenhouse gases like difficult. In 
result, it called on these developing countries to enhance their mitigation efforts and move toward emission reduction or limitation targets, while it underscored the need for developed countries to continue to meet their emission reduction targets. So what was the, what was the Paris Agreement about? It was about reducing emissions and preventing this raising, or, or sorry, preventing the rising of the globe's temperature. However, the Paris Climate Agreement wasn't everything it was cracked up to be, mostly because it was an agreement. Okay, so so just a little bit of language jungle here. An agreement's different from a treaty. Even though they're frequently thrown around here, it's not the same thing in this instance. So the Paris Climate Agreement it emphasized cooperation, transparency, flexibility, and the regular reporting of progress to achieve the goals of the agreement. However, in the end, of, at the end of the day, there wasn't any mechanism to enforce compliance with the accord's provisions, um, but there only was one to promote compliance. So they would say, "Oh, you have to do this. You know, if you do this, you know, we'll we'll achieve these awesome things." But there wasn't one to hold a gun to the difficult countries' heads, <coughs> China, and to say, "You have to do this, dude." Like, you, you have to reduce your emissions now. We're going to enforce it, and we're going to, you know, penalize you if you don't. There wasn't any provision to do that. This is according to Britannica. It's an encyclopedia, so you know it's not some, you know, garbage source. No, there was no enforcement. That, that, that's been my huge problem with the Paris Climate Accords for a long time, which is that you couldn't enforce them. So what the heck is the, what the heck's the, um, the point, you know? If, if, if you can't, ensure that people are going to agree and and or, or that people are going to follow through then you might as well be signing a empty piece of paper and throwing it into the ocean for all that that's worth because there's just nothing that comes of it except for disastrous policies by the well-meaning and great countries like the united states again good intention policies like the clean power plan that have disastrous effects as i said earlier the clean power plan had a good intention a disastrous, disastrous effect upon the American economy. So I'd like to read you something from this amazing article from National Review. It's talking, it's talking about China and the Paris Climate Accords. And, and it was written very recently. It also mentions the coronavirus pandemic. So the article says this. As the world suffers through the coronavirus pandemic, Diplomats from Germany, Australia, and the United States are expressing their displeasure with China's diplomatic attitudes, its opacity, and its self-promotion in the face of a problem of its own exacerbation. Yet simultaneously, the, the Paris advocates, the people that want us to rejoin the Paris Climate Accords, urge the United States to endorse an international agreement for which China's openness and hostility, or, or sorry, for which China's openness and honesty would need to be the linchpin. The Paris Climate Accord puts too much confidence in a bad faith regime. Rather than placing a bet on China's self-restraint, American climate hawks should turn their attention to what we can accomplish here. Sir Roger Scruton argued in his book How to Think Seriously About the Planet, The Case for Environmental Conservatism, for a home-based approach rather than an international treaty. He wrote, that the only answer to global warming is action by individual nation-states, those rich enough to conduct research and to act on the scale required, responsible enough to answer to the need to do so, and with a public opinion 
shaped by open discussion. In other words, you have to solve your problem at home. You can't tell all these other countries what to do. It says, while Sir Roger probably put too much stock in the United States political process, he's right that China's regime has proven itself to be an unreliable partner. It ends with this bombshell, let us not base our climate strategy on the Paris Agreement's naive expectations to the contrary. The Paris Climate Accord, it assumed that China would comply. China did not comply. How bad was China's non-compliance, you may ask? Well, let's just start off with a point of reference here. So, at the time of, or a few years ago, the United States had declined its emissions by 10% since its 2005 level. Since the year 2005, China had actually increased their emissions by around 5 billion metric tons. So, supporters will say that the agreement puts, or sorry, supporters will say that the leaving of this agreement and the leaving of these accords by President Trump puts the world at risk. I would say you gotta look at the Queen Power Plan and the Paris Climate Accord. You have to look at what they do to America's industry. It puts our industry at risk for failure. It doesn't actually help to virtue signal about all these things when they have real, real effects. You have to look at what China is actually doing rather than the hypothetical things and the projections that everybody gives you, okay? Just to throw something out there on projections, they projected that 2 million people would die of the coronavirus in the United States. That projection got adjusted so fast and so hard, it was crazy. It should give you some perspective as far as the projections and as far as believing all this stuff that they throw out there. Um, it's A lot of it is just that. It's a projection. It's not absolute fact, even d despite them coming from scientists, I'll say. Now, I do trust the scientists. I do trust their expertise. I'm not saying that climate change isn't real. I'm just saying that you got to have a nuanced perspective on these things, and you got to take everything with a grain of salt, all right? Don't be freaked out. Just take everything with a grain of salt, and we'll see what happens. I have faith that the environment will be a great thing for years and years to come, and we'll continue to take massive steps in order to protect our planet. But the Paris Climate Accords, getting back to that, it wasn't the answer, and it wasn't the thing. It definitely it certainly wasn't a thing that we should have been in at all. In fact, the Obama administration did it without congressional approval. So for what's that for, for what that's worth, they it was it was kind of scummy as far as governmental regulation. In some Paris Climate Agreements, it's got no enforcement. So you can't really stay why would you stay in something that's gonna hold us accountable to a job killing American industry killing regulation. Why would you stay in that when there's no enforcement in other countries? You can't do it and it's just it like stop wasting our time. So that is the Paris Climate Accords and my understanding of why Trump pulled out of it rightfully so. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a long one about the environment. I really enjoyed making it. I didn't really know much about the environment before I started, and in my research, I learned a ton about the environment. So I thank you guys for, you know, showing me the enthusiasm 
um, for the environment that you guys really had. It's it's amazing how much you guys care. And I, I really did this honestly for my viewers because I had this big, big thing, like this huge outpouring of, you know, oh, I'm voting for the environment. I hope this informs your opinion. I hope this informs how you vote, what you do. Again, it's not to influence you. It's not to, you know, change your mind or anything. It's just to inform you about the things that have been done um, as far as the environment. So with that, I again, I encourage you for the billionth time to check the sources. They're really good, and there's a lot of reading to be done. Um, but as far as the election is concerned, I hope you have a great election. Get out to vote, and have a more perfect day.